Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. On the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast, I feature entrepreneurs while I discuss ways you can grow your business today. Step onto the veranda, get a cup of tea, get comfortable, and let's talk shop. Let's do this. Welcome to the Veranda Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Christine Mills. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Amaka Uchekbu of Uche. With her company, she makes a natural hair journey an easier one by predicting if a product will work with you, work for you without you having to try it first. Using an algorithm trained by black hair scientists, dermatologists, stylists, and you. Welcome to the show, Amaka. Hi there. Hi, it's so nice to have you here. Yeah, it's it's lovely to be here. Yeah, and I'm really excited to learn more about your company. I wish I had that when I started my natural hair journey. <laughs> yeah, it's just after that's something that, you know, I hear a lot of people who are a lot more comfortable with wearing their natural hair um say. So that's it's interesting that you meant, that you said that. Yeah. So I, I like to start from the beginning just to get to know you a little bit more. Um, tell me about yourself. Um, where are you from? And then we'll go into your uh, business. Sure. So um, I, I'm Nigerian. I was born in Nigeria, um, but moved to the UK as a baby. So I grew up mainly in England and then, um, you know, I have a big family, two brothers, two sisters. Um, and we and we you know lived in England most of our lives. But I moved to America for university, and um, following university, I stayed um, in New York. Well, moved to New York, and I've been there ever since. Uh, and so, yeah, does, does that help? There are obviously lots of different pathways we could take in terms of telling you about myself. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, you know, I have a lot of family in Jamaica. I'm, I'm not in Jamaica. I'm from Jamaica, but I have a lot of family in England. So I'm I'm pretty familiar with that area. I've, I've never lived there, but I visit there often. Uh, and we are actually similar in that I'm one of five. Oh, so I'm the last cool. five children. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I think one of the things which has really kind of shaped how I look at the world, you know, is, is two things. Firstly, being an immigrant. You know, in England, I'm an immigrant because I'm originally from Nigeria. And in America, I'm an immigrant from, you know, England and Nigeria. So, um, you may be able to relate to it, but it really makes you, you know, think twice about the way things are just because I'm used to seeing lots of different ways of life, lots of different cultures. And so it really makes me question like, hey, is this really how it has to be because of having that experience of, you know, seeing lots of different ways of life? That's that's definitely a good point. I, I think that, um, you know, the, the immigrant story is so nuanced, right? Like you you're living in dual worlds. Like inside my home was very Jamaican, but when I stepped out, everything was very American. And um, and I, I know you're seeing it two sides because not only, like you said, you're an immigrant from Nigeria and England, but now you're an, a, a double immigrant coming to the U.S. And although we do speak the same language, the U.S. is so different from the U.K. So I'm mm-hmm. sure there was culture shock there as well. Yeah, lots and lots of culture shocks. One of the ones that I didn't expect though was when you when you grow up in England, you kind of like think America, which which year it is, but it's this you know massive place full of opportunity, which it absolutely is. Um, but one of the things I was the most excited about was you know being able to buy hair products because in England you don't have very many op- options, but in the US 
you know, you, you know, I remember back when I was much younger, like even the idea of Sally's Beauty, which isn't so big of a shop now, but that seemed like the most exciting place, you know, a shop dedicated to, you know, hair care things um, for, I'm not sure if Sally's is specifically for people of colour, but that's how I got introduced to it. But then when I got to America, I found that just the sheer number of options actually made it really hard and was a problem in and of itself. Like, damn, like there are hundreds of different products and brands. Like, what earth am I supposed to pick? You know, that's so true. I, I felt like um, I went natural a couple times, but the last time I just felt like there were so many products out there, and they're not cheap. And mm-hmm. so you spend hundreds of dollars trying to figure out what works best for your hair, and then you're looking at YouTube, and then for me, um, I'll look at YouTube, and I'm seeing how it looks on someone's hair on YouTube. I'm like, like, yes, their hair is similar to mine. And then yeah. when I do it on my hair, it's completely different. So <laughs> I, I would love to know about your journey to starting your company because when I saw it come across my desk, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so brilliant because I've gone to YouTube so many times, and the next morning I'm like, my hair does not look like that lady's hair. And mm-hmm. I did everything she told me to do. Uh, so, you know, walk us through that process. Yeah, um, and I love that you brought up YouTube because that was very much uh, um, an element of my early journey. So the the reason really that I built Uche was not just the expense and the impracticality of, you know, watching all these YouTube videos and the products and the techniques not working for you, but it, it kind of made me feel like there was something wrong with me. And I remember there was this one particular YouTuber that I used to love watching um, back in the day. I can't remember the, uh, I won't show the specific name, but um, this is somebody who visually kind of phenotypically looked like me and had hair that, you know, back then I wanted my hair to look like. And so I would follow her recommendations and her tutorials to the T and just truly be baffled as to why my hair didn't like swing like she did like I, I remember literally being like I have no idea there must be something wrong with me and that was mm. a feeling which really kind of you know compounded and built up to making me feel as though like my hair was you know unruly my hair was you know ugly it doesn't do what it's supposed to do it's my fault and it really you know led to my hair honestly being a pretty significant insecurity of mine for for a long time um but as I progressed on my journey and started to do more research on the nuances, I figured out there was nothing wrong with me. It was just that I wasn't understanding my hair type. And so trying to do things that work for other people as opposed to trying to know myself better and do things that work for me. And so just, you know, with the, you know, a lot of the research that does exist on things like ingredient formulations, on things that I'm sure you're familiar with, with regards to curl type, porosity, like, you know, scalp conditions, you know, a difference between having fine hair versus having, you know, fine strands versus, you know, less dense hair. And getting a grip of that made me realize that there actually is a lot of science and guidance that could have helped me on my journey and just saved me, obviously, the money. The money is just, I will even put that one, that's too much money. But just the feeling of inadequacy that comes when you're constantly on that trial and error journey and you're unsure of what it is you're doing wrong because you think you're doing all the right things. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I think what's interesting is that natural hair, there are so many different types of hair. You mm-hmm. could be the same family and you all have 
different here types. Like I'm one of five, and all of my siblings, all of our hair is so different. And yeah, and that just shows you like how unique we all are. And so, like, to just look at a YouTube uh, video that's just general to how it's affecting her unique hair, and it's like they're generalizing it for everybody. You just do this and use this product, and this is how your hair will look. That that's not a fair assessment. So yeah, customize that approach. Yeah, and and just to address that, to their credit, I feel like most YouTubers will say this is what worked for me. Like, they don't tend to say that this will work for everyone, but I think a lot of us really want it to work for us. That's why we love following these individuals. Um, and so I just wanted to caveat that because, you know, I I wouldn't want, like, I, I don't think people are intentionally misleading. I just think that people can, individuals typically can only speak for their individual situation. But um, um, I think you had a, a different question. No, that's that's a very good point that you brought up, and you're right. I went through many years of wanting my hair to look a certain way and hoping, um, even if I didn't admit to it, that if I use this product, my curl pattern will be looser. Um, mm-hmm. my, I will have more bounce to my hair, or yeah. my hair will be fuller. I will have that big, fluffy afro. Um, and, and it never happened. And, um, and, and so I think that the irony of going natural, um, for those of you who are listening and you might not fully understand what that means, um, you know, a lot of African-Americans, black women, um, when we say going natural, that means like we're not perming our hair, which, um, will make it straight. We're going natural. We're going back to natural state of our curl pattern, embracing, you know, the kinkiness of our mm-hmm. hair. And um, for me, I started, I had a perm like age nine. So I didn't really know much about my natural hair. And, um, but in my mind, I was hoping it, that it will be something else than it was. And so I went back and forth between having natural hair and then a perm, natural hair and a perm, <laughs> because I was, I was very disappointed that my hair wasn't what I wanted it to be. And it wasn't until years later I just embraced what this is my hair, you know, and and uh, finding the products that works best for me. And um, you know, even some people will come up to me like, "Well, how did you get your hair to look like that?" I'm like, "Well, this is what works for me. My <laughs> hair is very thick, but it's still very fine. So I, I found the hairstyles that works best for me. So you're right. I I will have to agree with you on that. YouTubers they're really good at saying what works for them individually, but yeah. sometimes we project our desires. Um, and hoping that it will be the same or identical approach for our own hair. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. But you have, um, your company is now customizing this approach where we don't have to go through that guesswork. We're celebrating what we have, but, you know, with artificial intelligence and um, dermatologists, black hair scientists, stylists, and the consumer, they're able to find the product that will work for them. Can you mm-hmm. walk us through the process? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And just to maybe maybe this is a good part to talk a little bit about my background because I realized I didn't even mention that at the beginning. So um, I, you know, when I came to America, I came out here for university, um, was at Yale for four years, and then I worked in management consulting for um, a large company called McKinsey. After that, I joined a fintech startup it's basically a financial technology startup and that really exposed me to the cutting edge of what exactly is already out there um and so if i just speak to the ai which has become a buzzword which is pretty ironic when i 
first started really focusing on Uche, it wasn't something most people had heard of. But when you think of AI, um, it's it's still at the early kind of growth inflection. I think there's a ton of advancement that um, is yet to be made. But it, with regards to the technology that's already in existence today, it is more than possible for us to automate a lot of that Google searching and YouTube rabbit holing and TikTok scrolling that we have previously relied upon to figure out what works for our hair. And, and this is what I mean by that. So when we think about our hair characteristics, the way that we work at Uche, and you know, we're a startup that is growing and is constantly iterating. But as, but as of now, we look at um, five core um, dimensions of somebody's hair. We look at the curl type, you know, the traditional 4C, 3B, whatever. We look at porosity. Bearing in mind, most people don't know their porosity, so we help people act, you know, accurately determine that. We look at the thickness of the strands, you know, whether it's fine or my hair is quite coarse, it sounds like yours is fine, so that's the thickness of the strands. Fourth, how densely packed your hair is, which is an important distinction because some people say they have thin hair, but they mean the strands are thin versus the actual like ponytail itself is thin. And then the fifth one is the condition of your scalp. So what we're able to do is map those characteristics to a set of common ingredients that are in lots of different hair products. I'm talking proteins such as your, you know, hydrolyzed wheat protein or silk amino acids, for example, you know, fatty alcohols, you know, humectants, which I'm sure people who are a little bit deeper in the rabbit hole are familiar with aloe leaf juice and glycerin, et cetera, plus other categories of ingredients. And essentially what we're able to do is say, hey, if this product contains these ingredients, it's likely to work for these types of people. And the view is to continually train the AI with, you know, ultimately, was that recommendation good or bad? Yes, no. Such that for each individual, Uche is better and better at recommending products to her than she was at the beginning. So it's using like a smarter, faster brain than we have time to use. Sure, we could all do this ourselves. We could all absolutely do this ourselves and spend weeks and months and potentially years getting smart on hair care, or we can leverage the data um, and the technology that already exists to do that research for us. So we can get to that stage that I'm at and it sounds like you're at where we're comfortable and happy and in love with our hair, as opposed to doing the kind of difficult and emotionally fraught journey that was the norm for, for so many years. Hmm. That's fascinating. Uh and uh, impressive background, by the way. Um, Yale student grad McKenzie, uh, the top, I want to say one of the top consulting firms. Um, and I'm sure all that, especially the fintech background startup, has helped you um, launch a successful company. Um, I'm curious, with your with this data, are you doing a lot of research and case studies um, to have like a population pool? for them to, for the AI to draw from. So if there's a match, it could also, it could automatically funnel the customer to a certain product. Yeah, that's right. So I've been, you know, amassing a database over the period of time that I've been working on Uche, which is longer than I care to admit. And also <laughs> my own journey has been doing a lot of that research myself. I actually realized that like, 
I already had a lot of this data stored just because I'm a bit of a nerd in that way. However, the thing that really will help Uche scale is being able to improve the automation because at this point there are elements of, and, and I'll maybe, I'll, the way that people engage with Uche at this point is a chatbot. And there are elements of the chatbot which are automated, but there are still elements which are um, manual and human because we are a startup, we're growing, and we need to figure out what conversations and what questions people have first before building up the expensive and time-consuming technology to automate those pieces. And so in response to your question, like a considerable amount of research has been done, but the, um, the real kind of like linchpin will be um, more tech resources to be able to grow it further. Plus, something that I find really fascinating about, fascinating about research just as a topic is that it continues to build upon itself and get better. And so something I also look forward to doing is really having a significant in-house research arm and research development so that it's less of relying on studies that have already been published, but instead like actually spearheading, spearheading that research as an institution. That's fascinating. So what made you start this company? Um, what what made you uh, believe that this is the best approach to ensure that it eliminates the pain point and the process and the years and the, the time and the cost of getting to that sweet spot of doing what works for you and what doesn't? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. The way that I got to it is when I first, started the um, consuming consumer-facing side of Uche. The way that I did it was um, through an Instagram account. So I, you know, would, you know, share research, share, you know, aggregated product reviews, um, various things like that. And what I made a point of doing is setting up conversations with my followers. So, you know, I'm always making sure that we're not just internet friends, we're kind of like also Zoom friends and able to like talk to them. And so what I would do is I would ask, you know, like, what, 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 what are your aspirations for your hair? You know, a lot of people will talk about, you know, being able to feel fully authentic, to love themselves as they are, as opposed to as they hoped they might be, you know, in terms of looking like somebody else. Lots of things like that. But what I made a point of doing was, you know, discussing various potential solutions with them. And a lot of the ideas I bounced with them, people were like, no, that sounds that is not helpful. Like, you'd be surprised. Like, like there are a few things where I was actually shocked. They're like, no, I don't think I'd need that. Um, but as we had the conversation, the um, the idea of, gosh, I wish I didn't have to do the guesswork or or I have this cupboard full of product. You know, I don't like the environmental waste or, like, I come to the store and I literally just pick a random thing because deciding is so difficult. And through those signals, it kind of became clear to me that a solution could be helping people discover products within this particular model and you know we're a growing tech company and one of the really important things is to be responsive to user feedback and to adjust as quickly and as and when is needed so I'm still super open about what the ideal solution um, will be and as of right now this is what looks like is um, getting the most traction. That's awesome. Um, do you find there's like a common pain point of um, individuals when they come to you in regards to their hair? Oh my goodness, extreme! Not just a common pain point, common language, common conversation pathways, common follow-up questions, common. 
I know this is really weird, but, and it's something that like 15 other people have asked, lots and lots of commonality. I think one of the um, common ones is, you know, moisture levels in the hair, like, hey, you know, my hair is always dry no matter what I do, or, um, because a lot of my um, users are kind of much earlier on in their journey, a lot of questions about like, like what is deep conditioning? Do I need to deep condition? Or like, you know, for example, a lot of people don't um, properly understand. They know that silicones and sulfates are quote unquote bad, but they're not properly sure why or how to use them within their hair routine in a safe way. Um, and then for the small percentage of my um, users who are, who are male, who are um, you know, sort of young young lads, often there'll be questions about like, you know, their hairlines and that type of thing, um, yeah. which, which is a whole other thing there. And so, you know, to, to not, you know, to not give too much away, it is, there is a shocking consistency in the questions that people ask and in the questions people ask after they've gotten a recommendation purchase and they come back they tend to come back and ask a very similar category of questions as well. It's fascinating. And I'm sure that that data just keeps building. Um, exactly. So it will be much faster to diagnose or to provide a, a solution. How long is the process? So if someone comes to your website and they just, you know, they're just frustrated with their hair and they just want to know what product to get, can you walk us through the process? Yeah, so what happens is people go into my website which is www.uche.co and they will hit the chat box which is in the bottom left left corner and then they'll just talk to us they'll say hey these are the issues that I have and then they will receive responses right away on the other side in terms of the length of the conversation it really depends on how many questions the individual has and how much time they want to spend on it um, there have been people, particularly repeat users, who come in with like a very targeted question. It's almost as if they're stood in a shop and they're asking, should I get this or that? It's a very targeted question, very quick. And there are other people who will want to chat for like half an hour, up to an hour, or they'll be like, hey, I've got to go to class. I'm going to be back. You know, it really is driven by the by the individual because the um, chatbot is very much just responding to the questions they're given. And, you know, the good thing is that everyone's comfortable with the chat box now. I mean, this used yeah. so many places online. Yeah, and I, so, I feel pretty with the timing because when I first got started, people didn't un- people didn't understand AI and people didn't like the idea of bots because they viewed them as, uh, um, you know, people feel like as though they're not going to be very responsive, it's not going to properly understand, it's going to be really static, or it's going to be creepy and steal their data. Now people have much more nuanced understanding of, of AI data. Right. And, you know, there are some um, listeners who are just starting out. Um, they're listening to this podcast to just know, they want to know, like, where to begin. So I, I know that you definitely have that background, that technology background by working at FinTech. Um, but but it's still a business and you have to get customers. You have to get the word out there. How was it for you to spread the word, let others know about your company and finding customers? Yeah, so I started early before I even had a real idea building a community and an audience and people who were um, had a shared and deep interest in the topic area. And I think that ended up being the most efficient way to get started for me because when I did have like my first 
we call it like an MVP, first initial version of the product, I already had a bunch of people I could like ask to try it out or tell about it. I think sometimes when people have an idea, they jump straight to building and then they think that once they've built it, people will just start using it. But like marketing is like a very hard thing and getting a consumer's attention is extremely challenging. Often it's better to start there and crack that nut first before the technology nut because like tech is complex but simple whereas marketing is is like simple but complex if you know what I mean like mm-hmm. I, that, that, that must sound so so like vague and, and hard to understand but like the once you know what problem to solve the technology will do it um, however once you know which customer you want to get doesn't mean you can get it and so starting with the marketing side at least so far for me it's proved um, the better path forward that makes sense and I like that you said you built a community first. Um, so by the time the product was ready, you already had a built-in community to approach and mm-hmm. say, hey, we've got this problem. I found the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think sometimes we do it the other way around. We we have a pro- we create the product without finding to see if there's a community that really wants this product. But you've already tested it. Yeah. And, and something that I think is, interesting is I think that this is advice lots of people have heard before and I'm not sure why but I see I just see it all the time people launching things with no inbuilt community and and I think that it's a a surprisingly common um, mistake that people make. Mm -hmm. And right now it's it's so much easier to form a community you know Mm -hmm. uh, Facebook groups I mean, what what is the best way do you find that was helpful for you to form your community? Yeah, so so this, and I'll maybe tell you a bit of the trajectory. So I started off with Instagram because that was a platform that I knew the most and, you know, um, really worked on growing a Instagram followership of people who are not only really passionate about haircare, but also connected to one another. So it really, like, feel like, you know, even small things is when people comment, they they know they already know the people in the comment section on my Instagram. So trying to create as connected a community as possible. But then what I started to find was that my product is best suited for people who are earlier on in their journeys. Very similar to the comment you made at the beginning, you were like, oh, I would have loved to have this at the start of my journey. That was something I was hearing right. quite a lot. And so I decided to transition over to TikTok, where people are much younger, where given the nature of the short form content, people are often looking for more basic information. And I found like significantly more traction from TikTok just because it was where the type of audience who would suit my product already existed. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. You're right. Because um, that's the first thing I said. I wish I had known about this, you know, 10 years ago, you know, but um, by now I've already spent the hundreds of dollars. But, you know, there's always like a new round of women who are discovering they're here for the first time, and this yeah. will save them a lot of time and money and frustration and trying to figure out what to put over their head when they go to work the next day. Mm-hmm. I've been through all of that <laughs> because <sighs> they're here for that workout. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you spoke about your background and building your business and building a community, which is very important. Um, what challenges have you faced while building your company? Yeah, so I think that there are obviously 
trillions of challenges. Like I could go on about this all day. I think one significant one for me is so um, I started, you know, building Uche while at the startup I worked at previously. I actually only just um, quit to go full time on Uche. And I just can't put into words how difficult it was balancing a full time job and a side hustle. And I know lots of people do it, but I do want to shine some light on the fact that it is phenomenally difficult. A, in terms of ensuring you have a high enough level of output on both. You know, while you're working on your side hustle part-time, your competitors may well be full-time. Do you know what I mean? And it's really, really hard when you are, like, you know, trying to compete with, like, a quarter of the resources with time being the most significant resource. So that's one element, just the balancing the two. And, of course, if you can imagine, I'm sure a lot of listeners who have done this before are aware of the kind of emotional and mental health load that comes with doing two things at once basically not even just not having any free time but feeling guilty and anxious about any minute you're spent not working because both things you're spending your time on are not getting enough time like that honestly was a really significant challenge that um I struggled with and you know I'm sure I'll still struggle with that even now that I'm um, full-time and probably struggle with a different version of that um but a second thing which I think has been a challenge Again, one that I think a lot of people will relate to is um, if you, when, when you come from a background where, like, when you, when you can't go ask your mum and dad for $100,000, like, some of your competitors may well be able to, um, the resources that you have and the space you have to fail becomes a lot thinner. Like, you don't have the runway to um, get second and third chances. And that's something that, a is difficult in terms of managing the resources to build and experiment and to iterate while not having all that much of runway. You know, I just have my savings and I'll go for, you know, external funding a bit later. But right now it's just savings. That's difficult. But I think the mental load of knowing that if your money runs out, that's kind of it. It, 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 it It's hard, right? It makes things feel a lot higher stakes. And that heaviness impacts um mental health and productivity etc but these are things that are not unique to me whatsoever i know lots and lots of people are in the same boat yeah i mean everything you said i i totally agree with you um small businesses uh fail not only because of lack of funding but because burn burnout like and if you are juggling a full-time job juggling your side hustle juggling family obligations eventually something's going to give and a lot of times it may be um the project that is not paying the bills. And um, I see that a lot, um, too. I, I think that when you when so many things are at stake, it makes it that much harder. Um, and But at the same time, it, it could give you even more fire to, yeah. like, make it work because you have no other way out. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it could work to your benefit. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, but... But starting a business is hard. <laughs> I mean, there's no way around it. You, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's definitely something you have to be passionate about, which you are, and there's a need, there's a community. Um, but uh, it, it's definitely exciting because you're in a space where um, people really want to uh, embrace their natural hair. Um, when I started wearing my natural hair, I, I went through years of my hair breaking off from perm. And um, it, it, it's very empowering to, you know, wake up and know that I'm wearing my natural hair. I think that's exciting. Um, <laughs> and if, and I have a daughter who's uh, 15, 
and she asks, like, why do people perm their hair? And just the matter of fact that she asks that question, that says a lot about how far we've come, right? You know, that it's such an option now that you don't have to just get a kitty perm as soon as you're eight years old. Now, you know, a lot of women are saying, no, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I may, you know, I may wear straight hair, I may wear a weave, I may, but there are so many options now. You don't have yeah. to do things. So uh, kudos to you for going into that space and um, also creating an efficiency for the end consumer because there's so many products out there, but if you go empowered in the store, you know exactly what you're looking for, that makes the journey all the more easier. Yeah, and just to add, I, I don't, it's crazy I haven't mentioned that, I only stock black-owned and black-founded brands. And so then there's a whole other side of, you know, how the beauty industry, you know, structurally makes it difficult for black-owned businesses to get access to shelf space and grow and a significant, significant part of the mission of this is to help grow black wealth um, by enabling black business. Yeah, and that's key. Mm-hmm. I, well, I really enjoyed this conversation, but you know we have to go to rapid-fire questions. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, before we do, I, I would love for listeners to learn more about your company and where <laughs> to find Okay. Oh, you're asking where to find me? Yes. Okay. So to get to... So to speak to Uche, the chatbot, you go to www.uche, that's spelled U for umbrella, C for Charlie, H for Harry, E for elephant, dot C-O. So that's uche.co. Or you can follow me on Instagram, uche underscore gang, or TikTok, which is also uche underscore gang. So those are the, the handles. Awesome. All right. So now that you have followed and checked out uh, Uche's website. Um, please, please enjoy this rapid fire session. We're going to learn even more about you, Amica. All right, here we go. You ready? Yeah, ready. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. Okay, favorite vacation? You mean that I've been on or that I'd want it? You mean a vacation I've been on it's before? Been on. Okay. Um, I had a, spent a weekend in Cape Town, which was like one of the highlights of my holidays i went i i could go into am i allowed to talk about it or do we move on no no go ahead i i, I you know you're like probably the 10th oh. person told me they went to cape town like this oh, class. I, I need to go <laughs> yeah oh it's, it's beautiful so i went i went on my own and i um i was staffed on a project while i was at mckinsey in ghana and so the flights were pretty straightforward so i went for the weekend on my own and you know you hear all this crazy stuff about south africa and so, so i honestly was a little bit nervous but I just had such a lovely time, met such wonderful people. Um, the weather was beautiful. And I think it just, obviously, there are lots of different parts of South Africa. My weekend in Cape Town isn't reflective of the whole country. But so many of my misconceptions were kind of deleted that it left me feeling proven wrong in a really positive way. Wow. And I hear it's one of the most beautiful places you can see. Unbelievably beautiful. Unbelievably Wow, that's awesome. I um I would love to go there. Um favorite book. Ooh, that is so difficult. That is really difficult. Um what I would say is a book that I read recently that I really like that I actually recommended to my little sister is Is it the Midnight Library? The Midnight Library, I think that's what it is. It's basically about this woman who like tries to kill herself and in between 
dying and not dying, she gets stuck in this kind of fictional place called the Midnight Library where she can read different books about different versions of how her life could turn out. And it's just like a really thoughtful and introspective view of um, uh, you know, like what it means to live a good life, like what it means to feel stuck, what options. I don't know. I can't give it enough um, description. That on sounds that. amazing. Yeah, you guys should. It, it, it's really good. I like the young people as well trying to figure out what to do with their life because it really shows you that you can do anything and still be miserable or do anything and be happy. And it really is not so much about what happens to you, but how you, but like how you like look at your perspective, which is a lesson we've all heard before, but the book really tells the story really well. That is fascinating. I love that plot line. I love that. It's like there's a children's book called um, Choose Your Own Choose Your Own Adventure, and if you mm-hmm. go to, like, certain pages, the story ends differently. Oh. But I love the fact that she, yeah, I, I, I think it's really cool. I read it with my son, but it's, I think it's really telling right, like how life can be, like you choose your own adventure, like, mm-hmm. so this thing and this, your life will be completely different. Yeah. Um, and I think we all do that, right? But Midnight Library, you're actually reading books of what your life could be. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's, and it's a, there's a good theme of regret that runs through and it almost discusses the futility of regret, just particularly when you realize that, like, you can regret everything you want and do things differently as well as it's feeling the same. So it's Matt Haig, that's the author Matt Haig. Okay, I, I will definitely put that on my reading list. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you're a reader, but I wonder if you're a binge watcher. <laughs> what was the most recent show you watched? Um, I'm in the process of finishing off House of Dragon, um, and I quite like it. It's interesting. I, I think it's a it's a it's it's a good show. I what I really enjoy from it is I think they did a great job of showing how the the main dad or whatever has just like destroyed his own family and everybody hates it, each other because of like the root situation i i don't want to spoil it but it's it's house of dragon which is the precursor to game of thrones is um it's good it's interesting and the relationship and the family dynamics that it shows are also interesting okay i have to watch that too i never watched game of thrones but maybe i should start with house of dragon yeah spoken over you but i was just saying that um you, you can watch it even if you haven't watched um game of thrones oh cool um and what's your superpower i, I know you have a lot i mean you're a Yale graduate mckenzie alum so what's your superpower um i i would i would say that i'm curious and i don't feel embarrassed to ask questions and that helps me um better understand things that i wouldn't if i didn't ask so i think just being curious. That, that's a major superpower. Um, curiosity can lead us in so many different ways and and open up so many relationships. Um, mm-hmm. And the last question, if you can spend an afternoon on a veranda with someone living or deceased, who would it be and why? I think, I think it would probably be my paternal grandmother, just because I never met her or knew her and I would just and also because it was the olden days that she lived in I don't think I've even ever seen a picture of her so I would love to just like meet her and get to know her that's awesome I I love those questions because you never know what people say but I that's that's beautiful well thank you so much Amika for joining me on the veranda um I really enjoyed our conversation 
and learning about Uche. Again, can you please let um, the, the listeners know how they can follow you and learn more about the company? Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram, which is Uche, U-C-H-E underscore gang, like a group of people. Same with TikTok, Uche, U-C-H-E underscore gang. Or you can check out our website, www.ucheuche.co, where you can speak to Uche and get her care recommendations for yourself. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) 